Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study, 10 a.m. meeting. I am, my name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Thursday, April 27th, 2017. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 32. We will be reading the first two paragraphs on page 32. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Roxanne T., the 12 traditions, Elaine B. Our text readers are Lynn D., Wendy M., and Sharon H. And our newcomer greeter is Melanie C. The reference number or share ID for yesterday, Wednesday, April 26, the 10 a.m. a.m. meeting is 9878. 9878. And the share ID for this morning's Thursday, April 27th, 7 a.m. meeting is 9882. 9882. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Roxanne T. to read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for your service. My name is Roxanne T., recovered in New York, and here are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, direct, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I will pass. Thank you, Roxanne T. I will now ask Elaine B. to read the 12 traditions of OA for us, please. Thanks for your service, Monica. This is Elaine B. recovered in Massachusetts. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And please, no speaker phones. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism. We are on page 32. We will be reading the first two paragraphs on page 32, though there is no way of proving it. And that's what our comments will be on today. 
And with that, I am going to ask Lynn D. if she would read for us, please. Thank you, Monica. This is Lynn D. from Colorado, recovered compulsive overeater. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overwhelming desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers in a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. What a story. Um, This is not my experience, um, but I tell you, I remember this story because I think, you know, I've been recovered a lot of years, and I think the disease um, thinking would come in with something like this. Oh, you're so good. You've got this figured out. You can have a little now. Or, Or maybe it would start, you don't need to read that big book anymore. You've got it memorized. You don't need it. You can just go ahead and relax a little bit. And before you know it, my, my head would spin so quick, I would be in the sugar and be really seriously um, physically uh, compromised, uh, emotionally, and just spiritually bankrupt. So I like to remember this man of 30 um, and to, to remember that I have no power with food. I cannot manage my food by myself. I need a higher power. Um, I like his, um, you know, he's so successful and so strong, and you think, yeah, sure, he could make it. But, you know, if he's a real alcoholic, like I'm a real compulsive overeater, it doesn't matter how how talented I am. This disease will bring uh, better men than me down to their knees quick, and um, I just need to really... Uh, remember this because, you know, it was a long time ago that food had power, was controlling my life, and it's easy to forget that. Um, So I'm so grateful to be able to read this today and to stick my nose into the truth again and um, live today connected with a higher power. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lindy. And with that, I'm going to open up. And who would like to share on these two paragraphs, first two paragraphs on page 32? Lisa Hold on. <laughs> I'm already lost, guys. All right. I heard a Lisa M, maybe. Did I hear a Lisa? Yes, Lisa LJ. LJ, okay. Charles H, I got you. All right. Marie J. That's all I got. John K. Something EJ. Holly Q. John K. John K. All right. Something EJ. That was Marie J. Marie J. (laughs) Okay, Marie J. John K. Deborah P. Okay, this is what I got. You'll have to bear with me here. I got Lisa, LJ, Charles H, Marie J, John K, Judy P, and I think a Deborah P. Who else? If I didn't get you. Okay, we'll go with that. Lisa MJ, you're up, and then it'll be Charles H. Amy Lisa? Star one. Hi, this is, hi, sorry. This is Lisa LJ, um, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Baltimore, Maryland. And I uh, would appreciate it if you would time me. I'm sorry, but I don't have a watch. Um, anyway, this guy, um, he speaks to me more than anybody, of, you know, any of these early stories. Um, not because I became uh, wealthy in my business, but um, I was sailing down the river in Egypt, denial, for 48 years in my life. Um, I had a career that helped me to stay thin. I had um, behaviors that helped me to stay thin. Um, Once I left my career and uh, things just happened, the wheels fell off, I wasn't able to, to, you know, continue in my uh, vigorous exercise, my running, to to keep pace with the food that I was eating, and um, things things just fell apart quickly. Came to OA, uh, you know, didn't it? It helped me to a degree, but it was more like dieting with, you know, group support. And then I found vision. I I, I didn't have any freedom from the stinking thinking until I went through the step envision and you know as I owned my eating career I loved that term eating career as I looked back and I did that inventory and owned my behavior I realized that gee I've been a compulsive overeater all my life you know we had six kids in our family and it was a race to the dinner table Um, my mother was an epicurean so dinners were always wonderful and we all wolf down our food to try to be the one to get second. And I began to eat that way from very early on and loved, loved the attention of people saying, where are you putting all that food? You must have the metabolism of a hummingbird and yada, yada, yada. But in truth, they didn't see me lace my sneakers on at 3.30 in the morning and go for a, you know, five to 10 mile run every morning. And then sometimes after work. So, um, you know, this guy, when things started to fall apart, I really resonate with him because things really started to fall apart quickly for him. And, you know, that show that we see 
on Lifetime, um, my husband always says, well, you'd never be like that. And I said, I could easily become like that. Um, I, I could easily eat my way to an early grave, um, and I, I need to do something about it. And although it, it isn't evident on the outside as much as, you know, it is on those characters on the, the show, um, my goodness, I'm just, you know, I know that my my thinking needed rearranging. I needed an attitude adjustment. I needed to quit being the pocket agnostic. I needed to let the God that I trusted and loved all my life take control of this because if I don't stay in these steps every day, I will surely, surely be like this man, you know, eventually dead. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa J. Charles H., it's your turn, then it'll be Marie J. Thank you, Monica T., for your service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. I identify with this guy, um, but I just want to clear, clear the air first. You know, I, you know, I hear food and weight is not the problem, but yet still I keep hearing about weight. You know, um, I, I can identify with this guy. Um, you know, he had a, you know, the big book tells us on page 62 that selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. This man had a selfish motive for being abstinent. I get it. To get that money, I get that. You know, um, and he, he, he did, and then, you know, he, he believed that he was God. He believed in, in his, uh, well, what, is, what does the text say? He believes in himself. He believes um, in, in self-discipline until, um, you know, after his career was over, he fell victim to the belief that practically every alcoholic, every compulsive overeater um, that, that doesn't have that spiritual awakening um, believes that they could, they, you know, because of their long-term abstinence um, and their self-discipline, they could, they could, they're qualified to drink like normal people. You know, um, and then, you know, out came this, you know, I, I think it happened, the, the, slipper, the slippers come out before. You know, just believing that I don't need help one day at a time. You know, um, you know, talking about weight and food. You know, if I was to get skinny, they would think I'm a crackhead again. They would think I'm smoking again. Skinny is not healthy. You know, it's not even a definition of abstinence at OA World Service. It's working towards and maintaining, you know, a, a normal body weight. But we will never be normal. And I tell you, I got some men that I'm working with that I'm not working with. That's why I put my name on the line, because I need to enlarge my spiritual awakening. This program is based on helping others, even in my own difficulties. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Charles H. Marie J., you're up, and then it'll be John K. Good morning. This is Marie J., recovered in Colorado. And... um, I was thinking, I don't really think there was a time when I could could really pinpoint when it crossed over to the point of no return in this disease. And I think that's because I was so immersed in so much den- denial for so long. I just never thought I was as bad off as I was. And I know now that because 
of this book, because of these instructions, because of this meeting, I now have an understanding of total abstinence. And that gift, that gift of abstinence has given me honesty and clarity. And those are two important things to help me keep my mind on what it would be like to go back. Because my disease is always, you know, doing push-ups in the parking lot and wanting to slip in and say, oh, you can handle this now or you can control this now or, you know, look how far I've come. I can do this now. But every day I get to be in this meeting and every day I get to be reminded and I don't have to listen to that, that disease convincing me I can have a little something because of how long I've been recovered. And that clarity and honesty comes from my total abstinence. And because of this, I can see my mental twist and I can see the obsession and I can turn that over. I can give it to God. And I used to get scared even after recovery that hard things would come up. And because I would think that I had to do something or I was going to relapse or I felt shame about my program or something not going right or perfectly. But now I can see, because I have the honesty and the, the clarity that comes with abstinence, I can see that that's just life showing up. Life doesn't get any easier. It's just I have more clarity. And I always have two choices, recovery or relapse. Those are my only two choices. And as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition, I just give it over to God every day. Just give it over to God and surrender it. Surrender it is, surrendering is always choosing recovery. And choosing to surrender is not about surrendering to my disease. It's not about giving in or giving up. It's, it's choosing to love, to be in love, to live in love with myself and with others. And that's, to me, what God brings to me, to be caring enough about this gift of life that God's given me and to be able to go to self-love and respect myself and respect what I have here in this recovery and to always know that I am powerless and I'm always moving toward the solution and I'm always doing it imperfectly. Every day I do it and I do it a little imperfectly and that's my humanness and my disease is always trying to get in. But as long as I have complete abandonment to God, trust and reliance and faith, I will remember and I'll have that clarity and honesty. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Marie J. John K., it's your turn, and then it'll be Judy P. Thanks, I'm John Kieran, recovering compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. You know, this is the story of progressiveness, right? The progressive nature of this disease. And, you know, I always like to just, you know, uh, it helps me understanding some of these things. You know, it talks in here about, uh, you know, passing that stage where one could, you know, stop drinking. And that's actually a scientific fact that's been proven since we started, you know, well, AA started in 1935. There's an actual enzyme in the body called alcohol dehydrogenase that disappears. And it, it really heartens me only because I know if they find these scientific events, they're going to find more about the disease overeating. It's still not going to change how I have to work my program. It just makes me feel a little better knowing I am a disease, not a moral failing. And it's funny, I just like to, I always tell the story that when I came to my first program AA, I remember saying that I, before I actually committed and admitted I was an alcoholic, um, I, I, I said to this one guy, you know, I, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, I stopped a couple of years ago for like six months, and then last year I stopped for about three months. And the guy looked at me and says, you know, a person who isn't an alcoholic doesn't have to keep periodically stopping 
to prove to himself that he's an alcoholic, and it's so true. And in this, it's it's it, 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 it's so uh, true as well. I've always said if you if you're in an OA meeting, you probably needed it for a couple of years, you know, um, and because that's you know the way we are. We it is a disease of denial, and it takes forever to see it. And again, in this this story of the progressive nature of our disease. Uh, a lot of you know I'm a comedian, and I've done a lot of OA comedy shows. And one of my fellow OA comedians, uh, comedian, did a joke about. She says, "Oh, I was here in program that my disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups." And she says, "I don't know, my disease is not that energetic. It's sitting on a couch eating bonbons, but it's waiting for me." <laughs> and, uh, um, but you know, this is you know, again, in this story, it's about you know, before AA existed, this guy just you know stopped and then started again. But it's also the story of relapse, you know, and it, it's human nature. I know I went through a horrific relapse, and near the end of my relapse, I was 14 years in program. I could quote you most of the first 164 pages of the book, but it was of no use. But it's human nature. You can't help but think, hey, I've made it this far. I think I got it now, you know. And, and I did go long periods without eating because I figured, well, I have it now. I have the knowledge. But the trouble is my disease doesn't care. My disease takes all that knowledge and uses it against me. I was using perfectly great program concepts and slogans to justify my eating, and that's the insanity of it. You know, and it comes down to those first basic three steps. You know, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do it myself, step one. You know, I needed help, step two. Why? Because even though I've got a great brain, I'm insane. And I love the definition insanity state of mind that prevents normal perception. I can have great decision-making abilities, but it has to rely on good data. And I have faulty data because of my disease. It's interwrapped in every, you know, every uh, part of my brain. And so I needed to be able to turn that over. And I definitely believe in it, that it's about the idea of oh, wrap up, turning a, a life of higher power, but it's also about turning over to humans and, and being willing to, to to just get rid of it. I don't want to eat today, but more importantly, thanks to the steps, I don't want to want to eat. So thanks, and I appreciate the best. Thank you, John Kay. Judy P., it's your turn, and then it'll be Deborah P. Hi, thanks so much. Um, Judy P. from Central New Jersey. I'm very grateful today. Started my timer. Um, I love this story, and I especially love it because I did retire at 55. And um, it was one of the things that brought me back to OA. I, I have about four and a half years now, but I came back before I was retiring because I knew I had to be in recovery. I was starting my own business from, starting my own business from home, and there was no way I could do it into the food. But what I want to talk about was my first recovery, which was huge and powerful and a major spiritual awakening, huge weight loss. And it was, everything was just so huge that I thought I was there. I was cured. I arrived. And, you know, to me, weight loss is great. And I've been blessed with another physical recovery. But I got to tell you, for me, there was a huge downside to weight loss. Um, you know, being, being a normal size, it was a little overwhelming, um, the positive attention. It, it was just a, a crazy thing. And, you know, the other thing that really tripped me up was um, I had such a big spiritual awakening. I didn't realize it was but a beginning. I thought I was there, and I did not know there would be more to go. 
I also fell under that delusional thinking that I had the power to not gain weight. And I know I've heard other people share, you know, convinced. Well, I'll stop myself at 175. I'll stop myself at 200. I'll stop myself at 225. And then I just stopped getting weighed. And, um, you know, when I did come back after that first relapse six years later, I doubled my weight in six years. I lost 140 and gained 160. And um, this is my third time back. And by miracle of God, it will be my last time. And, um, you know, I'm I'm sick today, so I'm grateful to have my own business. I've been sick these past few days. And, God, I remember when being sick was just a pass to eat. I needed to eat because I wasn't feeling well. You know, it's a miracle of God. For me, I need meal time um, when I do eat my meals, and, and that's just how it is today. And the last thing I want to share is, um, you know, what I had to learn is a spiritual awakening is no guarantee I won't relapse because I had it. And I have to uh, live in 10, 11, and 12, especially 10 and 11, which I completely ignored in my first recovery. Um and pride was just such a relentless uh, killer for me. And anyway, my time is up. I will pass, and thanks so much again for your service. Thank you, Judy P. And Deborah P., it's your turn, and then it'll be Amy G. Hi, this is Deborah P., compulsive overeater. Um, great to be here today. I just noticed that today is my one-month uh, day of abstinence. So I'm grateful for that. Yesterday was a very pretty rough day, though. So um, I know it's one day at a time. And I think this just reminds me the story that it seems like I still have this attitude that, I don't know, if I just become a little more confident. You know, life's going good. I mean, this guy was retired. You know, job looks good. Relationships look good. You know, I'm getting healthier, I'm getting stronger. And then somehow I just start thinking, well, maybe, you know, I'm okay. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's not going to, you know, take me over like it has in the past. And I've been doing that for a long, long time. And that's never the case, of course. So, um, you know, and the times that I have messed up in the past, it's been, it hasn't been times like I've been, you know, I've lost, well, I would eat over anything really, but it's usually times like I'm on vacation or, you know, life is good and it's not like I've just lost somebody or something like that. So I guess it's just a good reminder that, you know, I just, I always have to be on guard. I mean, here this guy had arrived. I mean, he had a successful career. He had um, you know, and he was at retirement and um it just it never it doesn't change, you know, and I think um just the more that I can accept that, um, the stronger I'll get. So thank you very much. With that I pass. Thank you, Deborah P. Amy G, it's your turn. Good morning. My name is Amy G and I'm recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thanks for your service. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, sorry, I'm having some trouble with my Bluetooth. A couple of things for me that stood out, and please time me. I don't have a timer on me. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. I always smile when I when I read that sentence, you know, desire. I mean, what desire? I mean, trust me, folks, if food was still working for me, I would still be using the food. I had no desire. 
because in my delusion early in my eating career, it was doing something for me. It was doing something for me. I was restless, serial, and discontent. And when I ate, I got a sense of ease and comfort. It was only when my behaviors and the food were killing me and I was dying desperate and doomed that I came to this program. And by then, of course, it was too late. It was too late. I mean, what have they been saying in this chapter since the very beginning? Uh, more about alcoholism. We've been hearing paragraph after paragraph saying, we are like folks who have lost their legs. We never grow new ones. We know that no real alcoholic ever regains control. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness, and over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And what I love about this big book and the, and the beauty of the writers here and what Bill is writing is we're saying this over and over, and now we get an example, and we get a very extreme example of a progressive illness here. He stops drinking for years, for decades, but once he picks up, the slippers and the booze, he's dead within four years. Talk about a progressive illness. And that was the same for me, particularly bouncing in and out of OA for my first four years. I also fell victim to the belief that after some sort of abstinence or some sort of white-knuckling it, that somehow I would regain control. Because you know what? I wanted to eat like a normal person. And what's being smashed home again and again that I will never, ever, ever be able to eat like a normal person because I am a compulsive overeater because of that mental obsession where I fall prey to a belief that says, oh, this time it won't kill me. This time I'll be able to handle it. This time I'll be able to control it. And it never, ever happens. And that my thinking is a liability if I'm a true compulsive overeater. And what's the saddest about this, this entire story, I mean, obviously that he dies in four years, but that he spends decades, you know, as a dry drunk, in my humble opinion. You know what? I can put the food down, but that doesn't mean anything for my personality. I'm still selfish. I'm still self-centered. I still didn't know how to handle life on life's terms when I was trying to white-knuckle it through this program. And I was a miserable miserable person wreaking havoc all around me, even though, quote, I was abstinent. It's just, abstinence is just the beginning. It has to happen. It's a prerequisite, but it has to happen first. But then I have to have that personality change contingent on the spiritual condition. I have to change. I have to work the steps. And, you know, here's a guy that went decades without a program. Thank God I have a program today. It allows me to, as John Kay was saying, to put the food down, but put it down happily and be equipped with new tools where I can learn to be God-centered and other-centered Time. as opposed to self-centered. Ah, thank you so much. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. And we are on page 32. We are sharing on paragraphs 1 and 2 on page 32. And who else would like to share this morning? Holly Q. Elaine B. I didn't get either one of you. Terry oh, KB. Kathleen Hill. Elaine H. Terry KB. All right. I've lost everybody. Sherry. Okay. This is, I've got two of you, I think. Sherry KB and Kathleen O. Was there a Paula? Yeah. Polly Q. Paula Q. Elaine. Okay. And Sharon H. Sharon. Okay. I heard somebody after Sharon. Elaine B. Kathy Joe. Elaine. Elaine B. Kathy Joe. Okay, let's stop there. I don't know how our time is going to work out here this morning. This is what I've got. Paula Q, 
Sherry KB, Kathleen O, Sharon H, Elaine B, and Kathy Joe. Paula Q, it's you're up. Hi, this is Polly Q, and oh. I appreciate your service. No worries. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, we've heard it all, huh? I think the most compelling thing about what we've heard so far is the fact that we've heard every, so many people say the same thing. And, uh, you know, I came into the program years ago, and uh, I had some physical uh, recovery from the disease. And then uh, I, and I worked the steps, and I got some neutrality around the food. And then I did not know how to work the steps daily at that point, did not work steps 10 and 11. And so then it became a white-knuckling abstinence. And I was over 300 pounds when I came in. So I lost about 100 pounds, and then it would be give or take 20, give or take 20, 20, mostly give 20. And, and then I would white-knuckle abstinence. And I, I forgot all about this feeling of neutrality around the food. There was just none. So then, and I had no way of dealing with the emotions. And so I would try to go to meetings, more meetings, willingness, willingness, more meetings, Forget about the steps. I had no idea how to work them. No experience with the doctor's opinion. And then, you know, after years and years of doing this, you know, I thought, gosh, you know, I still have this fear, this anxiety that I eat over. You know what I think I'll try? I think I'll try a glass of wine. I'm not an alcoholic, so I'll just try a glass of wine at night. Forget about the sugar in it. Oh, my gosh. And then that elusive feeling came over me. And the greatest thing of all then, what happened was my inhibitions were lowered. I started drinking two glasses of wine at night. Oh, now the sugar's at night. And I no denial. The disease is just there. Then I start eating. And then I start exercising. And I feel great because guess what? I'm losing more weight. So it has nothing to do with the weight because now I'm completely insane. And then I my other disease kicks in and I start taking family members into my home. Oh my gosh. Now my disease, both of them are rampant, raging. And I continue to eat and I eat more things. Oh no, I could try. I could try to eat that. I can eat some of this stuff. It doesn't have sugar in it. I can eat some of that stuff. It doesn't have sugar in it. And now I'm off and running and the wreckage is just piling up. And then I get to a place where, Oh, I, I, I'm in a complete pitiful state of demoralization. But I'll tell you, the weight wasn't coming back on that well, that much. Not yet. But you know what? It would have. But it got bad enough that, and I, that God got me to vision. And then I knew what was going on. And then I had a way out, the steps, the spiritual journey. And then, then, and doctor's opinion, and then came the complete neutrality around the food and the steps, the steps, the steps, which are saving my life. But I'll tell you what, I'm one day away from forgetting it, one bite away from forgetting it. And I need it now more than ever. So I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with the weight. And now I desire to stop eating compulsively. And before I desire to lose weight, it has nothing to do with the weight, this Pitiful state of demoralization will come in no matter what. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Polly Q. Sherry KB, you're up, and then it will be Kathleen O. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thanks for your service, Monica. Um, Love what everybody's been sharing. Um, 
couple of things come to mind here that we have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period of time because of overpowering desire to do so. Here's one, and it explains this guy um, who um, is in his disease. I mean, his, even though he stopped drinking, even though I stopped eating my, my alcoholic foods, they still were building momentum even while I was not eating them. And so, but once I started, I completely lost control. And even though years of abstinence, I thought I got this one, my disease will tell me, you have this one, Sherry, it's okay, you can, you can eat like a, a lady now. And, you know, because I have the twofold illness, I have a physical allergy and mental obsession, I, that will never happen for a person like me. I don't know about you, but what I identify in is that I have an allergy that's never going to go away no matter what I do. It's a permanent thing. It will never change. However, my mental obsession can change because if I'm in this book and I'm working the steps and I turn my relationship over to God, my food and my whatever's going on in my life, um, I have a chance. Um, but you know, the craving and the physical allergy of the body is never going to leave me. And I didn't know that. Um, I don't know about you, but I didn't get the memo on that early on. And I tried like hell because I thought that, sorry about that, um, I thought that I had the willpower. And it has nothing to do with willpower whatsoever. It's not a moral issue. It has nothing to do with willpower. I have a disease. I have a physical allergy of the body that's never going to change no matter how long I'm absent, no matter how long I work these steps. If I go back into the food, I'm doomed. And so um, what I do know is that this mental obsession can be changed through a spiritual experience by working these steps. Otherwise, um, I'm going to keep on that treadmill for the rest of my life and keep thinking I can do it differently, and the disease just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It progresses over time. My recovery progresses over time, too, but I've got to stay in this book. I've got to work the steps. I've got to turn to a higher power greater than myself, and my higher power has to be bigger than any problem I have. Otherwise, you know, the disease will always win. So if I'm in this book, working the steps, working with others, I have a chance. Otherwise, I am doomed. And it doesn't matter how many years I have been abstinent. Abstinent, being abstinent and being in, being a recovered person are two different things. Being recovered is being in these steps, working the steps, day in, day out, one day at a time. What I did yesterday does not count today. I don't have, I, you know, I'm not Cinderella. Um, I mean, I am, you know, Cinderella. I have to redo this every day. Thanks. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sherry KB. Kathleen O., you're up, and then it will be Sharon H. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. This is Kathleen O., gratefully recovered in Northern California. And it's so great to be on this line every morning and, and hear all these wonderful shares. So here we have this man of 30 who he realizes he has a problem. And... So, you know, he knows if he's going to succeed in business, he needs to stop. And the sentence, once he started, he had no control, whatever. So he knows he has no control once he starts. Yet when he retires, he starts again. And that, I can so relate to me, to that. I have this amnesia when it comes to food. I have a built-in forgetter. Um, you know, I've never, ever, ever been able to control the food, but I will forget and that is the coming back really powerful part of of this addiction is I'll forget and I'll think I'll have this crazy thought that this time I can control it. Um, you know, I'll, it's like, <laughs> you know, I would, I would watch 
I would watch normal people eat, and I would I would get this idea that that I wanted to be like that um, if I ate just a little bit, you know. But that whole thought process had to be smashed. You know, they they say in here they call it the drinking career, and I tell you, I started my eating career, and if they gave PhDs in it, I would have one. I remember going to kindergarten when they had graham crackers and milk, and at five years old, obsessing about those graham crackers and how come I only got one. And I remember going to grammar school and being obsessed with what other people had in their lunch boxes, and I wanted what they had and mine, and and looking at kids that never finished, you know, their sweet stuff, it's like, how did they do that? You know, I'll eat it. Um, I mean, I have more food thoughts growing up than I have other thoughts. You know, parties, I don't remember the people at the party, but I remember the food at the party. And so this is, I, I need to realize every morning when I wake up, because the coming baffling part of this is I will forget. I will always, always forget. And unless I'm working this program and keeping a, keeping in fit spiritual condition and remembering every morning that I am powerless, and powerless means I know under no circumstance am I ever going to be able to control this. And I need to remember that. And the only way I can remember that is by doing these work, this work, you know, working this, living in the steps, living in 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis, doing service, and staying in fit spiritual condition. You know, this is a long patient disease just waiting and waiting, and it's going to get you. Um, hoping and wishing doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. And thank you. This is Kathleen, and I pass. Thank you, Kathleen O. Now, we only have five minutes, and I've got three people wanting to share. Sharon H., it's your turn, and then it'll be Elaine B. Oh, <clears throat> thank you, Monica. I'll make it very short here. Um, I'm just going to zone in on where it says, then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. This happened to me in the early 90s when I was in OA Howe, and I got on a food plan that my sponsor had, and I, um, I was abstinent for five years. And then I, too, thought that same thing. The self-discipline had qualified me to go back out, lighten up, you know, drink like other people without having the devastating consequences. And, um, you know, it brings me back to page on there as a solution. You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. So it begins in our mind and uh, also the body is what takes us back again and again because once we take that first bite, then it sets the whole disease in motion. And um, so I'm a slow learner and a quick forgetter, so I need to be in this book constantly. I need to be reminded that the big eye is is got to go. The big eye has got to go. i got to become the little eye. And God, as I understand him today, <clears throat> is my guide, my director, and he leads me step by step to stay in recovery. And I had to let go of a lot of old ideas. You know, I really came in wanting to lose weight. That was all. Um, I had no idea what God was really going to do with my life and what he wanted to change in me, not what I thought needed to be changed in me. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. 
Ah, thank you so much, Sharon H. Now, Elaine B. and Kathy Joe, we got like three minutes. So, Elaine, go for it. Oh, out come the carpet slippers and a bottle. Man, have I heard great shares. I heard my story over and over and over again. In the rooms, I put down the food, uh, motivated by a wedding dress I'd be wearing six months after my first day and putting down the sugar. And because of the tools, because of the program, because of the fellowship, and also because of a food plan that absolutely eliminated every um, allergic food that I had, um, I got I had some life show up, and I, I was a few sizes smaller at my wedding, which thank God for that. And I continued to lose and work the program, but always that glimmering hope that I saw in people who were living the steps. And yet my pursuit to the steps was elusive. I never got the doctor's opinion. When it was time that I was maintaining a weight and could add things to my food plan, I didn't know about the doctor's opinion. I didn't know the things I picked up would trigger the allergy. I didn't know that um, I would think after a few years of that, slowly gaining 10 pounds a year, um, I would I would put down my attempts at the steps in the slow manner that I was uh, working them and walk out the door and the disease would beat the crap out of me, which was the greatest gift my higher power could have ever given me because what I didn't have was his design for living. I would have loved to pull up my carpet slippers in a bottle and live the way that I used to live. But now, all of a sudden, I have life showing up in between. I have people this design for living that really works that's outlined in this book, The Steps. And since I've done that, not only has the obsession been removed, I have been rocketed into a new way of living for which I'm forever grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Elaine B. And Kathy Jo, you got a minute. It's your turn. Hi, this is Kathy Jo in Minneapolis, Minnesota, recovered compulsive overeater. I came in in the 80s, and I was abstinent from sugar, et cetera, for about seven years, but I was not going much past step five. And then I played around for 22 years until I came back. And in here, what I read is that when you are abstinent, your addict is doing push-ups. And what I want to say, because I've been back about a year, um, is that my God was doing push-ups too. And I just want to say my God is big because it's a miracle that I'm on the phone almost every day. It's a miracle that I'm living in steps 10 and 11. It's a miracle that I'm working with others. It's a miracle that I put down all my alcoholic foods. But I just want to say today, our God is big. Reach out to your God. Pick up your spiritual toolkit. The help is here for you. Thank you so very much, Kathy Jo. And with that, we have so quickly come to the end of our time here this morning, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Wendy M., could you read for us, please, from page 164? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yeah, hi, Wendy M., recovered in Colorado. Give me just a second. Um, Okay, here we go. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. 
Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give away freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.